As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The claim Elaine filed with her homeowner's insurance was her first in 42 years. It was denied. It really could hinge on a couple of words in the policy. Everything's not coming up roses in Ann Rabarchik's back alley. All these weeds started to come up. Her new blacktop is looking more and more like an overgrown garden. They just come through real easy. Ann wrote a check for the job to Tommy Stevens of Precision Paving. It's a familiar name to contact six. season for homeowner problems. Contact 6 is getting flooded with complaints and today Jenna Sachs is taking us through the minefields in your home that most people don't think about until it's too late. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi Brian. Hi Amanda. Today is Tuesday, October 27th. And we're here once again with Contact 6 investigator Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. It feels like I haven't seen you in forever because we're all just doing our own, you know, COVID thing here at home. So welcome back to the podcast. It's good to see you again. Hi, guys. It's good to see you, too. I know we we talk a little bit, but I haven't actually seen you in person since March. (laughs) So that's strange. This feels like maybe this is uh, overstating it, but I, maybe it's good for our listeners who don't uh, routinely uh, check in to open record just to get a reminder of how Contact 6 works and what it is you do. Sure. We have a complaint-based system. So we have a form on our website where people can submit complaints with Contact 6 about different area businesses and issues they're having, refunds they feel they deserve, and so on. And we get complaint forms every single day. Um, We get upwards of 100 a month, and we try to help people resolve their cases either off-air or on-air. A small percentage of those complaints do lead to stories, and our goal is just to try to help people resolve their issues in a way that's fair to both sides. And every year we help people get hundreds of thousands of dollars in refunds. So we're really proud of the work we do. It's great work, Jenna. And this is the time of year when you get a lot of complaints from homeowners. And there are a lot of different categories here, but I do want to start with homeowners insurance because it's something you assume will be there when you need it. That's why you have it. But that wasn't the case for 94-year-old Elaine Watts. No, it wasn't. Uh, Elaine lives in a rural area in Kenosha County, and she has had a policy for 42 years, a homeowner's insurance policy, and she's never filed a claim until recently. She had an issue where a raccoon uh, crawled into her attic through a vent, and it settled in and had babies. And anyone who does animal control will tell you that raccoons can do so much damage in just a little bit of time, um, just a few days. And it's it's really the waste. I mean, it, it makes a really big mess up in your attic. And so she had filed an, uh, a policy claim thinking that it would be covered. And it turns out that her insurance policy 
did cover this kind of damage at one point, but her policy was rewritten. And this is something we thought would be important to highlight in a story because insurance policies can be rewritten by the companies sometimes on an annual basis to add exclusions. Um, They might change the wording of something, update the policy language, and it can, can substantially impact the scope of your coverage. And a lot of people might get these notification papers in the mail once a year. They might see the words important information about your policy included, and they just put it in a drawer somewhere and they don't review it. And they may have a very different policy than what they thought they had when it comes to the issues that matter the most to them. And sometimes if you don't know what you're looking for, you won't notice the differences uh, until the problem presents itself. And that was the case with Elaine. Well, I felt like one of the consumers watching your many stories when I when I watch this, uh, who, who thinks I didn't even really think about that because I just got my policy update in the mail and did exactly what I think most people <laughs> probably do. I glanced at it. I stuck it in a to file drawer and put it away and haven't looked at it since. And I'm sure there are probably some changes in there that were, are significant to me. But much like Elaine in your story said, you know, I could read that and not really know what's changed. And it, do I have the time to compare the previous policy to the current one and see what the differences are? I don't. So I mean, what do you do when you get one of these things? I mean, how do you know sort of what's changed and what's significant? And frankly, do you have much of a choice anyway? Well, I would suggest knowing maybe the areas that are important to you and trying to focus in on those areas. For example, Elaine's issue had to do with animal damage. She does live in an area with a lot of trees and a lot of critters. And if she had known to look for that, maybe she would have noticed a difference. But again, it can really hinge on just a couple of words. Maybe the way the policy defines the word vermin, for example, maybe that would change. Um, And maybe she would have noticed it. But you can always call your insurance company when you get an update and ask, you know, is this still covered? It's not really clear to me. And they should be able to provide that information to you. So my, my advice would be if you don't understand what you're reading, call and ask. If you do notice a change, I mean, realistically, is there anything you can do besides decide to shop your insurance? I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. You can call the company and ask about it, ask if there's some sort of change you can make to your policy. Maybe you have to upgrade. Uh, But the trend, it seems to be, according to the animal control company I spoke with, uh, in this area, it seems like insurers are not covering these smaller critters as much as they used to, these these raccoons and squirrels and similar animals to that. A bear comes, you're good. (laughs) But not often we hear of bears getting into houses and destroying things, at least not around here. Right. Elaine was not all that comforted to hear that her policy now covers deer and bears. Uh, But that's what's covered. But, you know, the things that are more likely to happen to her are not covered. And State Farm, which was the company we were speaking about, said that her policy was updated in 2018 in this area. So she had a policy for 42 years. And in year 40, it sounds like it was changed to remove the one thing she was going to need. Well, and to be clear, with this wasn't a couple hundred dollars worth of damage, although that can be significant for your budget. This was $16,000. This was not a small cost. No, she has a large attic and there was a lot of damage to it because the raccoons were up there for a while. I actually had some pictures of the damage that we chose not to show in the story because they were yucky to look at. So, I mean, it was 
when when there is animal waste in your attic, it really permeates everything. And the only option was to really tear it out. And the animal control company I spoke with said, when it comes to raccoons, it can be $5,000 to $15,000 or much more. Um, and, and it's not an inexpensive bit of damage. Now, I imagine in, insurance companies have people who are doing these calculations all the time. And, and if, if, these, if raccoons are causing five dollars to $15,000 worth of damage in a particular area routinely, at a certain point, they're going to say, we just can't afford to keep covering this. What I wonder is, is how is that communicated? Is it merely a change in the fine print that, you know, buyer beware, you better check and look? Or is there any requirement or anything that they say, hey, folks, listen, there's a big change to your policy because we're just spending too much on raccoon damage. We can't afford to cover this anymore. So if you want that coverage, go somewhere else. I mean, is there that kind of communication or is it simply in the fine print? They are required to notify you um, and you will receive something in the mail that explains that there have been changes. But there, there are so many things that go into an insurance policy. It's hard to say this is important or this is big. It all depends on what happens to you individually. And State Farm says to continue to provide affordable protection. Periodically, we have to make changes to a policy. And it sounds like these things happen on a regular basis to the point where they don't have to make sure you know specifically, hey, raccoons are no longer covered. These are the kind of things where, yes, you have to go in and you have to read the policy and look for the things that you think are more important to you and might actually occur. And this kind of damage isn't just annoying. Raccoons can spread some pretty serious diseases. I'd imagine, Jenna, you deal with a lot of situations where people are in these circumstances they never expected to find themselves in. Even when you purchase your homeowner's policy, a lot of people aren't going, well, I better watch out for those raccoons in the future. So are there other um, homeowner's insurance situations that people have found themselves in that may be examples of things that maybe you wouldn't quite expect? Oh, yeah. We've had many, many complaints about homeowners insurance policies, and they cover all sorts of things. We actually had another story about animal damage involving homeowners insurance where a neighbor's dog had broke into someone's house and did a lot of damage, and that wasn't covered either. So there are, there are so many different stories we could do about homeowners insurance and just a real gamut of issues that people can encounter. It um, sounds like the real key is to not just base your homeowners insurance on the cost of the premium to really look into what it's covering and, and where you might be at risk. Right, and that's hard. We all are so busy and these policies are long and they're tedious and the wording is complicated. And even if you're looking for something, you might miss it. So it's unfortunate really that these kind of things happen and people don't always know what's covered and what's not and that it can change over time without you really realizing it even if they have notified you so i guess my advice would be just to call and ask questions because they are there to answer your questions jenna another complaint that pops up around this time of year contractor complaints you have a lot of repeat offenders who pop up in your system and that happened in a recent case involving blacktop right Yes, this is kind of our contractor season. We get so many complaints in the fall about contractors because this is the point where people are realizing this project that I thought was going to happen by winter looks like it's not going to happen. So we get tons and tons of complaints about contractors this time of year. And yes, we got a complaint recently about someone whose name I recognized from a report we did last year. His name is Tommy Stevens and he is a paver in town and I wasn't sure if I was going to do the follow-up report but then I saw the pictures 
And this woman, Ann Rabarchik in Milwaukee, sent me pictures of this new asphalt parking space that just had weeds, big weeds coming up everywhere. It had broken through the laptop and or the laptop, the asphalt in several places and just grown upward. And it, it was only 11 months old. So the experts I spoke with said this parking space should have lasted her 20 years and it didn't even last 11 months. So I thought, you know, it's probably worth pursuing, letting people know that this is still happening to people and uh, notifying people that Tommy Stevens was still receiving complaints. I, I know I live, Jenna, in a neighborhood where there's a lot of asphalt driveways and you're right, this time of year, there's a lot of sort of last minute stuff happening and you'll see uh, at the end of a driveway that looks pristine and beautifully repaved uh, or overlaid that there's a, you know, there's some orange tape or something with a sign hanging off it that says the name and phone number of whoever did the work. And if you look at it at the moment, you might think, wow, that looks really good, must be a good company. But then you don't know how that's going to last. Like in Tommy Stevens case here, when you had uh, asphalt, the driveways that were crumbling or that were maybe done at the wrong temperature or whatever it might be. So how do you, other than just seeing a name and phone number and something that looks nice, how do you really look into some of these contractors what research can you do ahead of time to differentiate the good from the sketchy ones? There is a lot of research that you can do. And I would start with a simple Google search, read the reviews that are available on Google. And then I always go to Wisconsin Circuit Court Records. I would search and see what kind of complaints have been filed, if there are any civil suits or small claims cases that have been filed against the contractor, and if they weren't paid, you know, if they have any outstanding payments that weren't made towards civil cases with judgments. Um, and if there are more than a couple, I would be concerned about going with a person who has cases against them in, in small claims court. You can go to the Better Business Bureau website. If they give the company a low rating, don't go with them. And just go on Facebook, go to their, their Facebook page, see if people are leaving complaints there. We have a lot of information at our fingertips. You can, oh, make sure they are licensed as a contractor. There's a state website that you can enter their name or their company name and check whether someone has a dwelling contractor license. For example, all you have to do is Google Wisconsin license contractor look up, it'll come right up. Um, so there's a lot of different places you can check. And if you wanna go even further, you can go to the, the NERI website. Uh, and find out someone who is a member of NERI and then they have agreed to adhere to a, a standard and put themselves up for review if their work isn't up to the organization's standards. So there's lots of different ways you can go about it. But the problem also in Milwaukee and when you get to people who are looking for work for cheap or inexpensive is that a lot of people necessarily don't do that information or they don't care because they're looking to get a deal. And the problem is sometimes when you're looking to get something for cheap, the work is not as high quality as if you're going with someone whose standards are higher. Is that how someone like Tommy Stevens is able to keep operating? Because in your story, you point out all the past problems he's had. He's one of those people where if you type his name and in and you see all these cases that have come up against him. So how is someone like that able to keep operating? Well, in Anne's case, she didn't do the research and she admits that she and her neighbor hired him together. They paid $2,500 for him to pave this shared space they have. And she admits she didn't 
look him up. And if she had, she would have seen our story that we did, or she would have seen uh, his circuit court records or some of the other complaints. And there was there was plenty of information online about Tommy Stevens. And I think sometimes people get recommendations online or they go to a community Facebook page. And I would be extremely wary of taking recommendations from a Facebook group or any sort of next door page where community members can get advice on contractors. You can get maybe the suggestions there, but I'll always follow through with the research. I would never go just on a recommendation from a stranger. You said something interesting a minute ago, which was if uh, a, a contractor has a poor rating with the BBB, don't go with them. And I wonder over the many years you've you've done this and worked on consumer things, and you know, Contact 6 obviously has been around for a very long time, dating back to Tom Hooper. You even look at, in fact, the chief investigator for the BBB, Lisa Schiller, used to be a producer for Contact 6. So it's a big player in this area. And I wonder over time if you noticed that there can be companies with problems that have good BBB ratings, because maybe there's just not enough feedback yet, but once you get to the point of having a poor one, that's a pretty good indicator that there are problems. Do you notice that trend? I mean, is it more reliable to see a poor rating and go, that's someone I should avoid than necessarily someone with a high rating? I would agree with that. And to the BBB's defense, I would say they are working very hard to stay up to date and make sure their ratings are accurate. But I would say I take their bad ratings um, much more to heart than I necessarily would a high rating. And that could just be because a high rating is due to the fact that the BBB hasn't received a number of complaints about an individual yet, or maybe they have been responsive to the BBB complaints in a way that allows them to maintain their high rating. And it, sometimes it just takes the BBB time to catch up. They don't know instantaneously if someone is having problems or if there are complaints suddenly arising. So yes, if I've come across companies that I've done stories with who have an A rating with the BBB, uh, and then the rating maybe goes down later. Um, but I, I take those bad ratings very much to heart. If I see, honestly, a B or lower, I'm not going to go with that company. And they do, they are very transparent. They have their complaints listed on the website, so you can read them. Uh, but the businesses have an opportunity to respond to the BBB and keep their rating higher. I know that there's research you can do, but I also know there's kind of sketchy behavior you can look out for in a contract in a contractor. So what are some red flags uh, that should make you go, okay, you know what, this person's behavior is an indicator that maybe they're not on the up and up? Sure. Well, communication is a really big thing. If someone uh, tells you they're going to do something and they don't show up on that date the first time, um, that's that's a red flag. You know, if they miss that first appointment or that second appointment, I'd be very concerned about going with them. If they don't have a lot of information about their address on their cards, you know, they may not have a physical address for their business. They may just have a P.O. box. That might be a red flag. They may not give you their last name. I would never go with someone who I couldn't research their full name. That happens. They may just have a card that says, you know, Bob, and that's all you have. <laughs> um, you can check whether their business is a licensed business with the state. Um, you can check whether they're a licensed contractor. Many of these people. I'm sorry, are not. I can't get over. I can't get over the image of a card that just says Bob. It might say Bob and a phone number and the name of the company, and that's all it is. And when it comes to paving, there's a lot of room for being scammed because we have those fly-by-night people who will stop by and say, hey, I was just doing your neighbor's driveway and we have leftover materials and I see that you could use an update with your 
driveway, would you like to buy this from me for cheap? And people will often think, wow, I'm getting a great deal. And then it ends up being a really bad product. I know Jenna's taking that very seriously, but all I can think now is that Bob has a card that just says, <laughs> Bob can do the job. I'm now going to be very it. suspicious of, of probably some very upstanding people named Bob. But I mean, I'm and also who... don't pay with cash, by the way, pay with a check. Um, yes. something that can be tracked. If they say cash only, that's another red flag. Well, I'm the type where I assume everything is a scam. And so I've, I am likely to throw out some important documents because I just assume it's a scam. But even in our neighborhood, we had a hailstorm and then a bunch of people were having roof repairs done. And there were people kind of going door to door contractors saying, hey, I just did your neighbor's house. Um, you know, let's let's talk about whether your roof needs to be repaired. Now, in our case, we ended up talking to someone who's very reputable, did a great job. But for me now, I think from watching all of your stories, Jenna, the red flags immediately go up, even sometimes when someone's on the up and up, because if someone's approaching you about work, I think that can already put you on edge a little bit. Right. You're talking about the storm chasers, which is a, yes. big, a big issue. I would never hire someone who showed up on my doorstep without doing a lot of research first. I would take their information and I would look into it if I was really interested, but I would never make a decision on the spot with someone who showed up at your door. I think that's a pretty fair rule. Just to I'd be skeptical of anyone who shows up on your doorstep trying to sell you a, a service. I was going to say, don't buy a vacuum cleaner on the doorstep either. But does anybody still do vacuum cleaner sales door to door? I don't even know if that happens we anymore. We hear about home security systems door to door all the time. They're, they yeah. exist and they're still out there doing it. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I don't want to judge anyone who does door to door sales because I think that's such a hard thing. I, I've never wanted I, I don't know that I can face that much rejection. Frankly, just trying to get people to do interviews on television sometimes is too much <laughs> rejection for me. This job brings about enough so, rejection. Yeah. Absolutely. But I, so I want to do something real quickly here because we haven't, the three of us really haven't been together in a while. And, and, and this is, you know, occasionally now we check in to do these Contact Six episodes of Open Record. But now we are, what, uh, seven months into this pandemic? How's everybody doing? How are, how are you doing at home with work? Uh, how's, how's it all going? I think Jenna should go first because she's the one with uh, twin two year olds and a four year old. Oh, you know, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. Um, it's, it's, I, I, at first I was kind of lonely once the kids went back to daycare. I was kind of, I didn't like being at home by myself without you guys and people to bounce ideas off of and talk about things with. And now I'm kind of settling into it in a weird way. Like I've kind of adapted. I, I kind of like not having to wear my, my nice shoes every day and all that stuff. But every now and then, you know, daycare will close for a couple of weeks while As they have a potential recently. case. Yeah, Amanda and I have kids at the same place. And it was it's very stressful when that happens because it's not easy to do this job and have three kids four and under, you know, in the house. It's it's next to impossible. So we're I I'm not dealing with anything anybody else isn't also dealing with, but Well yeah, you, you are. Know. But you know, <laughs> humble if you think so. Yeah, it's it's okay. I've learned I can't work in the kitchen because I will eat all day. So <laughs> I have to go upstairs and get away from all the snacks. So there's lots of pitfalls of working at home. What about you, Amanda? 
Well, we have one child. We have a one-year-old. Um, she's almost one and a half. And when my husband and I feel overwhelmed, we remind ourselves that we don't have three children like Jenna and John, and they always seem really calm. So we should probably be that calm uh, knowing that we outnumber our child. Uh, but it's uh, similar to you, Jenna. It, I, I go through highs and lows of working at home. I think my ideal work schedule would be a a combination of working from home and having an office setting because you do miss that collaboration. We get a lot of ideas just by being able to have spur of the moment conversations that you may not necessarily call someone up for, but just in chatting, we come up with really good ideas for our stories. And so I miss having that and the collaboration and the the natural brainstorming and just obviously all your friendship we get close we work we worked in very close physical proximity and i think that that brings about a certain ease and a certain flow that obviously isn't there anymore um but there are nice things about working from home too i mean we've been able to have a more flexible daycare schedule, which has saved us a little bit of money because both my husband and I are working from home. Um, and child care costs, as we've recently covered, are no joke. So that's been that's been something that's been helpful to us during this pandemic as we just kind of try to get from one day to the next. But it also means a lot of times we're working while we're trying to keep a one and a half year old alive. And that's something that is its own set of challenges. So we're doing all right, but it's it's definitely a, a day-by-day type of situation. How about you, Brian? You know, it's funny because early on in this, I was just eager, like, when is this going to be over? When can we get back to work? When can we back get back to the station? And I am a, I'm an extrovert. I'm a social being, so I do miss the, the in-person interactions, especially in our unit with producer Pete, with with, with uh, you two with Sarah, uh, our executive producer, and so I, I miss that, and, and I still I still crave that. Um, but <laughs> and with Dave, gotten, who is editing this podcast, and, and Dave and, and Dave Machuda, yeah, I mean the, the the interactions we have are sometimes what really makes the week uh, you know worth getting through, especially when things get stressful and difficult. But the longer I've been at home, the more I've gotten sort of into this comfort zone that I now worry if and when we do come back. Am I going to am I going to wish I could go back home? And I think I think what you said, Amanda, is right. I think I would love a mix because what we found is the ability to do this from home is something we didn't realize was going to be possible to begin with. But we can do television from home. There's a lot that is convenient about this. Unfortunately, I think I work longer days now because it's harder to disconnect. Mm-hmm. I'm here. And so I, hey, I can work an hour late. I can work two hours late. I'll just run upstairs and make dinner when I'm done. And next thing you know, I've worked 12 hours. Um, it's easier to just leave when you've got to leave a building. But so, so there's great conveniences. I like the comforts of home. You're right, Jenna. I'm a little too close to all the food. That's definitely <laughs> been an issue. But but I, I but I, I think it would be a great to have sort of this hybrid of that interaction that we have, but still some of the convenience of what we found. Maybe that's what's going to happen sort of in the American workplace going forward. For those who have the ability to do some things from home, maybe there will be some more flexibility or maybe that's just wishful thinking. But um, but but I've definitely found a comfort zone of being here. I've seen a lot of companies talk more about doing core hours, right? So you have like Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. We know that everyone's going to be there between nine and one for collaboration purposes. 
And outside of that, you work from where you want, how you want, when you want, as long as you get your hours in. Now in television news, the flexibility of when you work isn't always there, but where you work, we've discovered, can be a little more flexible. So boss, if you're listening, that sounds like a really great plan. Well, you know, I, th- I think there's always been this this sense that uh, the fear maybe that if people are allowed that much flexibility, they'll take advantage of it. They won't be as productive. What we found, frankly, especially in this business, you don't have a choice. There are expectations and you've got to get the job done. And so what ends up happening, quite honestly, is you may be out of sight, but you're not out of mind for long. And, and there's an expectation you're going to produce. And so you end up working, we end up working more, maybe, like you said. We end up working more because we know we've got to live up to some standard. But the convenience is a decent trade-off. So, you know, I guess we'll see how this plays out going forward. But I, I just, the, my overarching sort of my, my summation would be that I thought for a long time, I just can't wait till this is over. I just can't wait till this is over. And now I'm almost a little worried that when it's over, and I want the pandemic to be over. Don't, don't get me wrong. I miss going to concerts and sporting events and, and socializing with others. But in terms of this sort of working from home thing, even recording the podcast a couple of days a week from home, uh, it's been nice, and I wonder if it goes away how much I'll miss it. Of course, we're going to continue bringing you these twice-weekly episodes of Open Record from the comforts of our home as we cover the consumer issues of Contact 6, the COVID-19 pandemic, the presidential election, that's still got to come, police community relations, and so much more. If there's a topic you want us to discuss on Open Record, an issue you think we should investigate, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That is fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. Thank you, Jenna, for joining us this morning. We miss you a lot. And of course, as always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record. If you haven't done that already, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, and we will be back with our next regularly scheduled episode on Thursday. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.